tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Mandy Evans. Mandy is the executive director of Panhandle Animal Shelter and the Home to Home Network. Mandy sees a world where people are inherently good and where animal welfare advocates work upstream to help people care for their animals. She believes in giving animal in humans the benefit of the doubt, removing the shame barrier and shifting organizations away from transactional approaches to ones committed to supporting both sides of the human animal bond. Thanks to this philosophy, Mandy and her team have increased the number of animals assisted by over 500%, reduced length of stay in the shelter by 77% and reduced owner surrenders by 33%. She hosts the podcast, People Are Animals Too, Darn It!, and consults with shelters throughout the nation and as a speaker sharing the importance of a no-shame culture and how it can translate into all areas of our lives. Mandy, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's kind of weird hearing my bio. <laughs> <laughs> I know from one podcaster to another, it is, it's funny being on the interviewee side. I get so used to being the interviewer and uh, I actually just did an interview as a guest on another show an hour before we're just doing this now. And I so desperately want to ask the questions and flip the tables. And I'm like, no, no, I have to receive the questions. It's very <laughs> funny. We get used to asking the questions. So, so thank you for being in the, in the guest seat today. And my first question for you is how did you become passionate about cats? Well, I've always been an animal lover, but I can tell you that when I was in kindergarten, we had a cat and and don't shame me because our cat had a lot of babies. But back then it was not, spaying and neutering was not as prevalent. And I'm an animal lover, but my twin sister is as well. So we've had very stern conversations with my mother about why, why we didn't fix this cat. But because of it, we had the experience of kitten birth. She would always have her kittens with us. And we're just a huge fan of cats. I had the World of Cats book. Um, I was a Garfield fan. And I really wanted to be a veterinarian. So my whole aspirations to be helping animals really started with cats. Wow. So did you go on to learn to become a veterinarian? Or how did your path shift away from that? Well, it actually involves a cat. <laughs> so uh, when I was later on in elementary school, I had this little kitty and I was teaching her how to sit pretty and eat from a spoon. And she was an indoor outdoor cat and she was leaning against a car tire and someone pulled out and ran over her. And we took her into the hospital and the doctor just opened the door and said, DOA and shut the door. And I was like, I do not want to be a vet anymore. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to see that side of it. Um, and I was really upset that a vet would say DOA to me. I just lost my little kitty. So there you go. Sad story. <laughs> So how did you get involved with uh, working with an animal shelter? 
So, and I, I hope this isn't going to be a long story, but I, in my twenties, I had a cat named Caviar and Caviar was like my best friend. I was single. Um, he would meet me at the door. He sat with us on the stairs and watched us eat dinner. Like he followed me everywhere. I love this cat and Caviar got cancer and died pretty suddenly and I decided that I was going to go for it and get a pug. So I get this pug and three weeks after I got her, she became paralyzed due to a malformed spine. And I dedicated myself that this little dog deserved more in life than just being a paralyzed dog. And I wasn't going to euthanize, euthanize her. We didn't know how long she would live. So I changed diapers and did all of that for eight years. She was the love of my life. We started a nonprofit um, called Molly Inspires, and we'd go to elementary schools and talk to children about how they respond to people who are different than them, uh, volunteering at wheelchair camps, like just broadened my world so much that I never would have had the opportunity. And I started doing a lot of volunteer work at local shelters. And because of that, it kind of led me down the road I'm in now. Oh, and that's Molly behind me. I know your listeners can't hear or see it, but the little pug is Molly. Wow. It's a great, great picture back there. And then at some point in time, you got yourself involved as the executive director of the Panhandle Animal Shelter. You want to talk about how you leapt from volunteer into leadership. Yeah, I moved. Um, I was living in California. I moved into Sandpoint, Idaho, and I was a professional event planner. And I didn't want anyone to know when I came here, but I went to the shelter and I told them. And so after working with them for a while, they let me know that they were going to be opening up a position for an executive director. And I applied along with, I think, 200 people. And I had no experience in sheltering. And I was lucky enough to be awarded the job. And that was 10 and a half years ago. And I've just been baby stepping my way through it, learning the different aspects. And here I am today. Do you think your event planning skills have helped you in your position? I do. I think mainly because you can't avoid conflict. So if the florist doesn't show up for an event, you can't just go, oh, you know, you have to call, you have to address things. So I think that's helped. I'm definitely a planner and I'm a huge idea person. Uh, so I see people tease me at work that I'm always three months to a year in front of everybody else. So I think that it's definitely helped me a ton. Yeah, I get that question a lot. People always say, don't think about a year from now. You know, you've got to think about what's happening over the next month. I get that that comment a lot. And I have said to folks when running the Catmobile, the mobile spay neuter clinic and goes to five different communities during the course of the week. And I'm like, that's just like planning five weddings a month, you know, a month because you've yes. got to notify the community that we're coming and you've got to get everybody prepared and you've got to make sure you have your, your supplies. And so I said, you know, it's just like planning a wedding. You just are doing it all the time. Except I will say that in my entire career, I never planned a wedding. I did plan a funeral, but I refused. I did corporate because mm. corporate doesn't care that that maroon wasn't the maroon you thought it was going to be. <laughs> I don't want to deal with those emotions. <laughs> well, and at the Catmobile, I don't think we have a co color scheme either, <laughs> but, you know, planning your spay neuter events, obviously planning your fundraising events. I mean, there's timelines galore in our business oh, yes. and you're Absolutely. trying to make sure your timelines don't overlap too much and 
you know, you're not maxing out your staff in this part of the year, and then you don't have anything going on over on this part of the year. And so just there's a lot of balancing that goes on as at the executive director's level in looking at the organization holistically. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. And then we have strategic looks at the organization. So you have taken your organization and shifted it dramatically over the last several years. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about home to home and how that's shifted your perspective on sheltering? Yeah. So back in 2015, I was sitting in the HSUS Expo Hall watching a presentation for Pets for Life. And it was a moment for me that kind of was like a slap in the face. And of course, my initial reaction was like, that won't work for us. And then I just kept thinking about it. So we really made a full switch in our organization to stop being so focused on being reactive. How do we put our resources into actually solving the root of the problem? And now it's become a practice. So when people talk about their challenges, I'm like, well, why are you addressing it here when it should be addressed, you know, here? So we made some big switches. And then all of a sudden, we uh, started to see a large increase in owner surrenders coming into our shelter. So um, I tease that all my ideas, best ideas come in the shower. So I was in the shower and I'm like, aha, you know, let's, let's start this program where we can empower our community members to help themselves. It's so sad for them to, to surrender to the shelter. So we created the Home to Home program, which is basically it's self-rehoming, but it's supported at the shelter level. So each shelter um, adopts the program, they promote it to their community, and then they're the ones approving the posts and, and moving it forward. And we very purposefully do that because our belief is that shelters or animal care centers should be focused on being able to solve or help assist people in their in a time of need so that we can keep that family together. So this provides the organization the opportunity to look and say, this person is just saying they can't feed their pet anymore, but we have a food pantry. Like, let's reach out and tell them this and maybe they'll keep their pet. So when we launched it, we saw a 30, I think it's 33% decrease in our owner surrenders. And we're like, holy cow, everybody needs to be doing this. So we launched it nationwide. We are now in, I think, 67 shelters throughout North America and Canada, growing every single day. We just added another section for emergency fostering, peer-to-peer fostering. And we're trying to work with some of our national organizations that are involved in disaster response to see if we can uh, utilize the emergency fostering and rehoming tool to help people when they're really in great need. So it's, it's exciting. And yeah, our whole organization, we've got all these different arms, I call it an octopus. And we just continue to, to seek new ideas, to listen to people that are doing it well. Yeah, we don't believe that we have all the answers. Like there's some brilliant people out there doing some brilliant work, uh, like Brittany from West uh, Valley Humane. I'm not sure if you've hooked up with her, but she's her uh, community cat program is outstanding. We recently, actually this year, had did a formal uh, rebrand of our organization. So we're no longer Panhandle Animal Shelter. We are now Better Together Animal Alliance. And this is really so it incorporates the full scope of our work. And I can give an example of that. Like in 2019, we helped 8,000 animals. Only 2,500 of them were actually in our building. 
That's really impressive. You know, when you're talking about your sort of strategic outreach with this program, you've got 60 plus odd groups involved. I'm a big targeting person. So I'm always like looking at like the big picture. So you either look at your state or you look at your county and you're trying to find out where your area is where you have your highest surrender rates to work on reducing your intake levels. You know, have you thought at all strategically with regards to home to home, you know, even like across the country, like where would be like, do I focus this in the areas of the country where there are the highest pressures on organizations? It's hard because for us, we talk to a ton of shelters and it's really going to be up to them. So if it was, if it was a program that we could strategically in-house launch everywhere, then yes, we would totally be be doing that. So our our plan right now, though, is to try to hit the most sophisticated shelters because they have the staff and resources to be able to do it. Not only that, but we can show them the financial savings that they would see from um, implementing the program. Where some of the shelters that really need it the most, they're doing it. There are absolutely shelters out there that are not well-resourced and they're utilizing the program and reaping the benefits of it, but it becomes a harder sell because it feels more scary. You know, like, wait, you're going to have, we have to approve these. And so right now it's how many of the larger shelters that, and we don't deny anybody, but it's just a little bit of targeting from us. And I should say, we do, we don't technically deny, we will recommend that we're not the right program. You have to really believe in the tenants, which is that you're not going to shame people and you won't allow shaming, that everyone is equal and that you can trust that your community, given the right resources and support, will make a good decision. And if organizations come to us and they want to spay and neuter everything before it's posted and they have some uh, feelings about people that surrender, we may not be the right program for them. So you just mentioned that you of requiring that the animals are spayed and neutered before they're posted or not requiring that, right? And so can you just explain a little bit about your thought process around not maybe requiring that? Yes. So the way we look at it is, I mean, in California right now, if you were to try to take your cat or dog in to be spayed, or we'll just stick to spayed, I think it's going to cost you seven to $800. So here you are, a family who is in a position where they can no longer keep their animal, and now you're going to go spend that money. They're not. They're just going to take it to the shelter. So what we have found is that a lot of people who, after the rehoming process, they get the cat or the dog spayed and neutered because it has become a cultural belief that your animal should be spayed and neutered. So we encourage the shelters to provide post rehoming spay and neuter services. And if a, if an organization is really doesn't want to, to put an animal up that's is it hasn't been altered yet, then work out a way that the animals posted, but in the meantime, they're getting, they're getting fixed. But ideally, let's not create barriers to positive outcomes for for these animals. Give your feline friend protein-packed meals they'll crave with Smalls. Smalls is fresh, human-grade food for cats delivered right to your doorstep so you too can embrace your inner house cat. All cats are obligate carnivores. They need fresh, protein-packed meals. 
Conventional cat food is made with profits in mind, using low-quality, cheap meat byproducts, grains, and starches coated in artificial flavors. Smalls, on the other paw, is made with cats in mind. Smalls develops complete and balanced recipes for all life stages with leading cat nutritionists. Starting with human-grade ingredients like you or I would find at the market, Smalls recipes are gently cooked to lock in protein, vitamins, minerals, and moisture. No room for fillers, no need for flavoring. Better quality ingredients mean a better, healthier life for your cat. Since switching to Smalls, cats have experienced improved digestion and a less smelly litter box, softer and shinier coats, plus better breath. Try Smalls today for your cats in your household. Hooch loved it. Use offer code COMMUNITYCATS at checkout for a total of 30% off your first order at Smalls.com. Are you ready to be part of the solution for feral and stray cats in your neighborhood? If so, then make sure to sign up for our next Neighborhood Cats TNR Certification Workshop. A new workshop is held online each month, generally on the first Saturday of the month, but please check our website for exact dates. For just $10, expert instructors will teach you best practices for trap, neuter, and return. TNR. Learn what TNR is and why it works. We'll cover getting along with neighbors, preparations for trapping, trapping itself, including entire colonies at once, feeding, providing winter shelter, and more. Take advantage of the interactive format, extensive handouts, and video footage of actual projects. Attendees will receive a certificate of attendance and gain access to an ongoing Facebook group for networking with other TNR activists. The two-and-a-half-hour workshop is led by Susan Richmond, the Executive Director of Neighborhood Cats, and Brian Cordes, Neighborhood Cats National Programs Director. To find out the date of the next workshop and sign up, just visit communitycatspodcast.com. As we emerge from the global pandemic of COVID, fostering is emerging as the new normal in the animal welfare industry. But shelter management software doesn't provide the tools or the workflows for communicating with fosters at scale. So many organizations struggle to maintain hundreds of animals in foster homes. If only there was a system that was custom built specifically to solve this problem. Introducing Foster Space, powered by our friends at Dubert. Foster Space was custom built to allow you to manage hundreds of foster relationships and to communicate with them via text, email, and even Facebook Messenger. Your fosters have a portal where they can upload videos and photos and updates on their animals, and organizations can schedule fosters for meet and greets, adoption days, or anything else they need. There's so much more to check out. Sign up for free at www.dubert.com and go to the Foster Space tab to get started. So. Many people, was like 35, 30% of folks get their cats through f- friends and family or acquaintances. With home to home, do you find it's a large percentage of cats being posted or dogs, or is it like 50-50? What breed is most interested in using home to home? It's interesting. It's kind of 50-50. And if you had asked me that in the middle of last year, we were about 60% cats. And then you also have other animals. Like that's the other part that's really cool is we get beta fish. That is really fun. And it's fun to read the descriptions on these, you know, we've had parrots and Savannah cats. We had a Savannah cat once. So it's a tool that's used for everybody. So a great thing for for organizations, and and actually we're launching this with the ASPCA um, in June is their Meow for Now program. So it turns finders into fosters. And if you are an organization 
and you have kittens, a litter of kittens with a foster, you can utilize home to home to post those pets, those kittens, where they're writing, the foster family's writing the profiles, they're vetting the, the new owners. And if you don't mind not getting a fee, you can allow them to do the transfer of ownership and it's done, or you can have them meet at the shelter and fill out the paperwork and pay the, the fee. But utilizing a program, again, it's like you're just expanding your ability to serve by trusting your community members to to be your partners. What do you think is going to happen with the future of sheltering? Is home to home going to make our shelters sort of obsolete? I don't think our shelters will be obsolete. I'm hoping that we will become animal care centers that will be focused on solving the root cause of, of of the challenges that our pet owners have. I do think that we are going to become like training centers for dogs. I think that there's going to be some challenges that we already see happening with naughtier dogs. People don't have as much time, but they still want that companionship. I think we're going to have cats that are always going to come in. We're always going to have stray dogs coming in, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to reinvent ourselves to be out there and and helping our community. And if that means saving resources by putting and extending your shelter basically into homes and allowing these pets to go from one home to another, then why not? Right. I mean, one of the things that we see here in New England is that really the, the sheltering component is phasing out and we have a greater obligation or a role with cats in the community that maybe we've aggressively spayed and neutered back in 2008 to 2012. We had a lot of, you know, grant money coming into this region for spay and neuter. Um, You know, now those cats are 10, 12 years old and they need extra medical care. So we have a generation of cats as well as the cats behind them that have gotten spayed and neutered that will need sort of overarching support. So I think that programs that are dealing with uh, issues with regards to economic euthanasia, you know, uh, diabetic support, diet, getting access to proper food and that kind of thing are really important components. And so I think we're becoming more, uh, as we say, talking about social services for animals, as well as for the families that take care of them. I think we're changing that direction, but I think there's a big fear about where the revenues come from for those organizations, even though I've never met an organization that has made money off of adoption fees. I don't know if you've ever met an organization that's made money off of adoption fees, but for some reason, as a society, animal welfare society, we have a hard time letting go of this like adoption side of things. And I just, I really wonder why. And then I also wonder, you know, what can we do to maybe shift that conversation into the what's a humane cat community or a humane animal community and what are the needs of that group and how can we help and and still function as our 501c3 and not be afraid of sort of letting go of that sort of that past branch that we might have had right and i think we will always have like it's just going to get a little smaller on the adoption side when i'm talking to shelters my recommendation is that they stop they, they very slowly kind of wean themselves off of adoption revenue. So for us, the whole team knows that though it's budgeted, I will do fee-waived adoptions any day of the week if it means that animals are going into homes and not sitting in kennels. 
And I think that when you're able to provide yourself with a little bit of cushion around those public service fees, you make better decisions. When we are holding on to an animal for 20 days because we want to claim that $30 adoption fee, honey, we already lost that adoption fee a whole long, long time ago. So if organizations just look at what is my length of stay where I start losing money and they start to realize like, oh, we need to make some changes. Like once an animal's hit this day, you know, what are we going to do? Like, let's get this, this uh, pet out of the shelter. Obviously, if it needs you, if it needs intervention, if it needs medical care, that's one thing. Uh, but it just putting that, yeah, and wean yourself off of those public service fees so that you make better decisions. So I'm going to ask you a question about your board of directors. You've obviously made some dramatic changes with regards to your organization, changed the name, rebranded it in a whole different way, looking at your programs in a different way. So I would assume your staff resources have been allocated in a different way too. How have you worked with your board of directors to create such change? Because I would say traditionally, a lot of board of directors are pretty scared of change. I am very lucky. And since it was my first year being here, I was not a part of board selection. And then after that, I became part of the process. And what we're looking for in board members, and, and this year, like especially we're actually today in just a little while, we are going to be introducing some new board members. We are looking for people who are smart, who can have a really that aren't fear-based, have a good logical sense. And what's funny is I actually go to a therapist over anxiety. So I have like, I have horrible thoughts and fearful thoughts and everything. It's probably why I'm a good planner, but yet I still have the ability to use logic and push through that fear and recognize what are the risks we're taking. And I think I'm just lucky that I have a board around me and a proven track record that has allowed us to get yeses more than than nos. Have you worked with a strategic planning outside consultant or have you just done this all internally? Um, we did bring somebody in before we did the name change. It was actually this gentleman that said, I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but you really need to change your name. <laughs> He helped us. And, and what we found was a lot of the things we were already doing, they're in the plan. So it was somewhat done internally that we had it. And I think part of that too is that I'm so far ahead. I know where I want to go. And it's just, and, and I always say to everybody, I'll talk a big game. I'll talk about everything I want to do. But it isn't until something bubbles up that then it's like, now's the right time. We're going to go do that. So we've expanded our thrift store a bunch. That's the other thing for shelters that are really reliant on the adoption revenue. What are alternative options to, to regular sustainable revenue and having a pretty diversified revenue intake that's really great and will help you reduce uh, your reliance on that adoption revenue. Do you have any tips for folks who are executive directors of organizations on how to be successful? Because I think there's quite a bit of turnover in that position for organizations around the country. And I'm just wondering if you have any recommendations either for folks that are on the board of directors or for executive directors, like, you know, how to, how to survive, I guess. I drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry for anybody that is listening that 
that isn't appropriate. I'm just kidding. Um, I, you know, I think that it's keeping it all into in perspective. I have been severely attacked on Facebook before. I have been threatened. I've had to call the police. I've had people tell me that they wanted my uterus because it was, I took one of her breeding cats. I spayed one of her breeding cats. I've had two kids. I told her she's welcome to it. (laughs) But I think that in those times, it feels really, it's hard. And I would be completely lying if I told anybody that it isn't hard. But the way I look at it is when it's not hard, I need to move on because I care enough and that's why it's hard. And that it's so important to have really great people surrounding you. And if you have what I would call like vampires, people that suck the energy out of you, that suck the life out of you, that you need to start to to figure out, like, is that a healthy environment? And the other thing that's been a huge help for me You know, people talk about those vision boards and you put the house you want and you look at it and you'll be like, I'm going to get that house. And miraculously, you get the house. That's great. You can do that. But write out the gaps. What are the gaps to getting to that place? And if you can do that and then say, what are the small things I can do now? And what are the big things? I guarantee that you will get there by just following a path. And if you can stay mentally like healthy, while you get there, then great. If you're not supported by your board, if a board is questioning you constantly, then, and when I talk to shelter leaders and that's how I I tell them to leave because unless they can make an impact and the board trusts them to get their job done, they're going to kill themselves in the work and in stress and everything else. It's not worth it. Um, So as a board, you know, don't hold your leadership back. Look at how do you logically, not emotionally, logically evaluate the decisions and the risk factors? How do you educate yourself on what other people are doing so that you can allow for risk to, in order to grow? Interesting. That's great. Great information. If you folks are interested in finding out more about Home to Home and your organization, how would they do that? Yeah, if you're interested in Home to Home, you can go to www.home-home.org. And then our organization website is bettertogetheranimalalliance.org. And you're always welcome to reach out to me directly. It's Mandy, M-A-N-D-Y, at B-T-animalalliance.org. That's great. Mandy, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? I guess my final thought would be just to look at if you're if you're a shelter, review your policies and find out why. Ask yourself why. Uh, make sure they're really in the best interest of the animals and not in your mental health and need to control. <laughs> and um, to to try to see your community as really helpful, wonderful people who. Even the people that might come after you and attack you, they're doing it because they care a lot um, and trying to build those bridges and and create a a bigger and broader community of support. Yeah. And and think about your community in a bigger picture, that it's a partnership. We're working together. We're not doubting, questioning. You know, this is something that we're, we're all together in on this. And I think that that's really wonderful. And it's a really key component of Home to Home, which is trusting your neighbors 
and, yeah. and empowering them, giving them the tools to be able to help take care of the animals in their community, including the cats, which is most important to us today. Yeah. Andy, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on this show, and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Did you attend our recent online feline leukemia day? We hope you learned some new and surprising information from the presentations that will help you save more cats. Events like Feline Leukemia Day would not be possible without the generous sponsorships of the following organizations. The Tompkins Foundation for Feline Leukemia Advocacy, Humane Network, and Vets Pets. Would you like to support content that helps save feline lives? Please visit communitycatspodcast.com and click on Support CCP to learn more about sponsorship opportunities.